Hi, everybody. Welcome to Start Right Here. We are the podcast that puts the spotlight on the career paths of BIPOC beauty professionals, entrepreneurs, and creatives, as well as issues related to beauty and inclusion impacting us in the industry, as well as impacting consumers. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope that conversations on this show help fuel your path to success. Hi, everybody. This week is a bonus episode. Starting with this season, I've asked my guests to offer concrete tips in their areas of expertise at the end of each episode. And this week, I wanted to compile a few of them. You will hear primarily from my guests from this season, but you'll also hear advice from a few guests in season one. We are focusing on a couple of areas, so there'll be something for you, I'm sure. This first section is devoted to information for anyone considering a career in beauty, whether it is a corporate at a very big company or a small company, as well as product development, cosmetic chemistry, and working in contract manufacturing. Corinne Davey, who is a senior manager, brand marketing, and clinical and luxe skincare at Sephora, had some advice on breaking into the beauty industry when you've never had an internship or discovered your passion for the industry later. For those who want to break into the corporate beauty space, can you share five tips that will help them think about, not even just think about, think or take action to join this area of business? Absolutely. I think the first thing is inserting yourself into beauty, even if you're not in beauty. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but how can you start to be a thought and opinion leader about beauty, even if you don't have the full-time role to back it up? And this can come to life through one's own talents and personal purpose and gifts. For me, it was with actually doing hair and cosmetology. It could be having a blog or podcast. It could be writing articles on LinkedIn. It could be any number of things that really demonstrate your aptitude and your interest in beauty that are going to show other people that regardless of whether it's your full-time role or not, that's who you are and that's what you're going to be doing. And then those opportunities will definitely come to you. I think another thing is having core values. So this probably is broader than just beauty, this particular tip, but I think it's super, super important specifically in the beauty industry. So for example, my core values are really around faith, pattern recognition, having kindness and integrity, being a collaborative person, really investing and developing the people that I lead, and then having patience. I think that it is important for one to really identify what are your actual core values? How do you want to show up in the world? Who are you trying to be? Because that helps you decide what opportunities you're going to say yes to and then what opportunities that you're going to say no to. There were opportunities with consulting clients and other people that came up that I actually said, this is not a good fit. It was probably good money, but it wasn't a good fit for me. So having that guiding core values are really important. A third tip that I would give is really being patient with yourself, with others, and trusting the process. So one of the things that I found is you might not have your dream role coming out of undergrad or coming out of business school, but understanding that there is a path and there is a process to things and 
there are very few people that I've spoken to, and I know this hasn't been true for my career, that have had like this ladder of progression, right? A lot of time it is like cross lateral moves. It's opportunities that come up to go into a different function. There are all different things that help build your experiences and your skill set for you to get to what that dream role is in your career. And so I would just encourage people to really be patient with themselves, trust the process, trust that the experiences that you're getting now are preparing you for the bigger opportunities that are going to come in your future. So that would be number three. For number four, I would really ask you to, for the times in your career that you might feel forgotten about, when you feel like people are not checking for you, just continue to grind, continue to work on yourself, continue to put in the work, because that is going to pay dividends in the future for those roles as they become available. I remember a mentor had said to me, cultivate the soil and learn what you need to learn so that you can be fruitful when the harvest comes. And that really, really stuck with me. Okay, say that again. Absolutely. Cultivate the soil and learn what you need to learn so that you can be fruitful when the harvest comes. Next, Jalori Williams, General Manager at Revlon, who oversees the Cream of Nature business and contract services, has worked at large corporations throughout her career, all the way up to the C-suite. She offers these tips not only on surviving in the beauty industry's corporate culture, but thriving. What tips could you offer to our listeners on making it in the big company and then succeeding in a new role there? Well, the first thing I always say to people, especially like the students and then even some of the young ladies that I mentor, we invest a large amount of our day working. So you got to be passionate about whatever it is you want to do with your life. I always say to them, have a passion for it because it'll make going to work a lot more enjoyable. I always say to them, do your research, understand the company that you're going into, understand career opportunities. I always tell them, own your career. Don't let anybody else own your career. Can you say more about that? What does own your career mean? That means know exactly what it is you want to do and what is your career plan. Make sure that when you talk about succession planning with your boss and with your HR, your diversity and inclusion counsel, make sure everybody knows what it is that you want to do. Because what I found early on in my career, if you don't speak up, they will make assumptions about what it is you want to do. And you want to be valued. You want to be considered an asset and not a liability. The more vocal you are about what it is you want to do, the more exposure you're going to get and the more experience you're going to get. People who just want to come in and kind of fly below the radar will always fly below the radar. I'm not a below the radar type person. When I started at Bristol Myers, my third month in, because you know you go through that 90 day probationary period. I don't think they do that anymore. But I sat with my boss and I said, I want to talk about my career and what it is I want to do. And she was shocked because she said nobody had ever wanted to sit and talk about it because she said most people don't want to talk about it. And she said she was very pleased that I was taking the initiative to come to her and say, this is what I want to do. And I said to her, but I need help. I need help in making sure we put together a succession plan and I need checkpoints along the way to make sure that I'm still tracking. I also tell people, Take the initiative to seek out feedback. 
Go to the person you engage with on an ongoing basis. Go to your manager every quarter. Ask for feedback, good, bad, and ugly. So you can course correct. So when you get your mid-year review and your year-end review, you know exactly what you're going to get. Because one, people don't like to talk about it. People don't want to ask for the feedback. I sought out feedback. I also tell people, get a mentor. Get a mentor inside as well as external. Because you want someone who is not married to the company. Someone who's going to give you honest feedback. And there's several different levels of mentorships. I have someone who is a personal mentor. I have someone who is a professional mentor inside and outside. I have mentors that don't even look like me because you need to have mentors that will give you honest feedback. Get people who are in different industries, who took different career paths. Because what I found is if you stick with a mentor inside the company, they will always toe the company line. Ginger King, the CEO of Grace Kingdom Beauty, has worked as a cosmetic chemist in product development and as a raw material salesperson and in contract manufacturing. Here, she explains the difference in those career paths and gives some advice on what you get from each. Like if somebody's looking to enter the beauty industry, what are the difference between being R&D, cosmetic chemist, product development, contract manufacturer? They are interrelated. I know a lot of people that come to me because, I mean, the first thing they say, oh, I'm looking for a cosmetic chemist. I usually ask them, do you have your branding done yet? Because making a product seriously is very easy. You know, it's not a big deal. But it's the branding that's going to be more important. It's your brand DNA. It's your unique technology. That's why people should come to you. So that's the product development part to make sure you have something. And then the R&D part is to formulate the product according to the product development brief. And the manufacturing is really doing the commercial scale up. So everything is intertwined. You don't really just say, I want a cosmetic chemist. You really want to have the entire package. I think that that was very helpful. But what I was saying is when people are looking for jobs or looking at careers, they're not sure of the differences. Would you explain Sure. If you are very like a science inclined, go ahead, be a chemist. And if you are like very seriously loving science and the best place is actually corporate companies like Fortune 500s because they will have their bioscience department rather than a smaller company. And if you are the creative type, you know, you want to have something different, then you work in product development. Product development is like the liaison between marketing and R&D. And if you just want a very comprehensive training, it's kind of jack of all trade type of skills work with the contract manufacturer it's a good foundation step that is such a great tip because i have spoken to a lot of young people in science which i'm sure you do more than i do that look at the cosmetic industry as a destination but they're not sure of all the opportunities and what's the average length of time that it takes if i'm coming to you saying ginger i want to start a skincare line and i don't have my brief i like to compare product development as having a baby from concept to having a birth is nine months. So for the first trimester, what you are doing is really come up with the concept, doing competitive analysis, figuring out where are you going to be selling the product, figuring out your packaging, 
And the second trimester is you'll be doing the formula testing. You put the ingredients together, and then you start stability testing, micro testing, package testing. And the third trimester is you do a pilot scale up. And you will also be preparing going for PR because a lot of press you really want three months ahead of time, and then you'll be start doing some sampling. So from concept to launch, ideally is nine months. Of course, you can have a preemie, but you take your own chance. The earliest you can do is six months. Anything before that, I don't recommend. If you're thinking about pivoting into the industry, listen to what Trey Baj, who is now a smart shopping expert appearing on more than a thousand television segments, has to say. She's made many career pivots herself, and she got her start in beauty. And I think that's what pivoting is all about, is being able to sit in quiet and look at your life and look at your career and say, like, am I good here or what am I going to do? And I also just think, too, like, if you're at a place where you feel like you're successful, you should never be complacent in that success because something could change tomorrow where suddenly no one wants a 53-year-old biracial gray-haired on-air expert anymore. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? And so right now, obviously, and with the social unrest that was going on last year, like it was clear that people wanted a woman of color on air. And my business grew 35% during COVID. And I do not take that for granted, but it's also kind of a strange feeling knowing, like, I know what happened. Like, I know why people are hiring me versus my Caucasian colleague. I know that. And so what I'm trying to do with that in mind is to make it clear that a company or hiring manager should never hesitate to hire a woman of color because she's going to kick ass. Like, that's kind of my drive behind that. What are five things that a listener should consider if they're thinking about pivoting their career? Okay. So I love this question. So I gave this some thought. So number one is know that nothing has to be permanent. And this reminded me, I spoke to a friend the other day and she is miserable at her job. And I'm trying to explain to her, you don't have to stay there. If you're miserable, it's time to think about making a move. You are not trapped. Number two, And when you're thinking of making a move, think about things that you're both good at, but also that you'll enjoy because this could be for the long haul. So you don't want to be miserable. Number three, give yourself a lot of runway. Like I was just saying, you want to give yourself some time. So ideally, if you are going to leave a job, think about staying where you are for a little while, you know, so you have that security and work quietly and diligently towards your pivot because you don't want to be doing this in panic mode, of course. Number four, be consistent. So I think where a lot of people fail is that they go at something guns blazing and there's no way that that's sustainable. So they have to think about what are the things can I do? Can I post on Instagram three times a week, five times a week, one time a week? Can I do YouTube? Can I do TikTok? Whatever it is, be realistic and know that you have to do it for the long haul. And then number five Be open to feedback. Like I was saying when I was interviewing after I left my beauty business, be open to what other people have to say and also be willing, and this is kind of a two-parter, be willing to ask for help. Use your network, groom your network, grow your network, and it will serve you in the long run and you will serve it. Those are some amazing tips. Amazing. And I think for those of us who've been around for a while, we always hear the word reinvention. 
but a reinvention, there's also a pivot. So those tips work at every stage of your career when you're thinking about doing something different. The next section is dedicated to anyone who has or wants to start their own beauty brand. To start this section off, I think we should include how important passion is in the process. And in episode 49, the second of my two-part interview with former beauty director and serial entrepreneur, Kim Van Dang, she offers her thoughts on how to monetize your passion. You managed to turn your love of fragrance into several viable businesses. Can you give listeners five tips on how to work your passion? One is believing in yourself. Two is being very focused. Lots of opportunities come our way every day. It's about recognizing them, but then also choosing the one that is most true to you and your passion and your skill set. I think people are often sidetracked by money or comfort or ease or something they think they should be doing because their parents always steered them that way or their partner steered them that way. Um, Obviously, time management has to be in there too. And for me, it's Google Calendar (laughs) with alerts. (laughs) And I guess the last piece is the big picture, the vision piece. Keep your eye on the ball. That's fantastic. Chrissy Cabrera, the CEO of Naturally London, gives excellent advice on finding and exploiting your niche in episode 43. I'm sure we have some listeners looking to build a brand of their own. Could you offer them five tips on going deep, like instead of trying to go wide, going deep or getting started? The first tip is I'll focus on the niche part. I have a, someone that told me this was like, do you want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond. Yes, you might open yourself up to more options of customers, but you're also opening yourself up to more competition. When you niche down, one, you can charge more for honest because you're specializing. Look at any arena, medical care, like any kind of arena. If someone is a specialist, You have to be good and knowledgeable in your field, but it just really allows for you to really excel in your niche. And that's why I love learning and expanding my knowledge base in the foot care arena. So I think niches are really smart and you can easily find a niche, maybe even in a bigger thing. So let's say you want to make dog treats. Well, don't just make basic dog treats make gluten-free dog treats because there may be a huge market for dogs that have gluten allergy. I don't know why that popped in my head, but it did. (laughs) So the second thing is, like I said earlier, you have to change your mindset. This was a very powerful transition for me thinking about, oh man, I messed up. I messed up. Man, that opportunity didn't come my way. No, it's only success and lessons learned. It's never failure. You don't fail. You just learn a valuable lesson that's going to pivot you to your next point. We covered this other one earlier. Sometimes you just have to start. You just have to start. Try to get the courage to go out and do whatever it is that you're trying to do. Now, granted, some businesses are a little bit more challenging than others. You have to have some 
other parameters in place for some businesses. But learn what you can learn and don't be afraid to start where you are because there's always opportunity to evolve and grow. And sometimes it allows for you to have a stronger community because your community is going to grow with you as you grow and you evolve. The next one is make sure you have a support system. I've been very fortunate. I don't have many people I call in my support system, but the ones I do are strong. I have a business bestie. We share everything. Well, we don't share our recipe. Well, she does share her recipes, but I don't want to do her recipes. <laughs> but we share everything, resources, everything. When she finds an amazing photographer, she tells me. When I find an amazing brand strategist or whatever, I tell her, you need to find that one person. We're not in a direct field. She does body care. I do foot care. And so we kind of complement each other, but we share so much. Like the other day, she called me asking me a couple of questions and I saved her $4,800. And two weeks ago, I called her about something and she saved me $7,000 of some stupid thing I was about to do. And she was like, no, 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 this is why. And sometimes you need that mirror. So even if you only have one, you need to have one person that you can talk with and be your, I call it business bestie. And my last one is don't give up. Because a lot of businesses that you see successful today have been going at it for many years. And the funny thing is that me and my business bestie have been doing our businesses for six years. I think she's at seven. But now we're starting to see the successes that we craved and yearned for year one, year two. And one thing that we found out from the expo we did a few years ago, 30% of those businesses that were there are no longer existent. They gave up. Maybe they had a reason. Like I'm not judging their reason why, but 30% are gone. And then there's us still pushing. And now we're getting recognized in Essence and Forbes and Reader's Digest. Sometimes it's just people want to see your fortitude. People want to see your ability to stick. And you have to have that grit to keep pushing no matter what, because you never know one day, literally overnight, possibly you can go from a hundred sales a month to a thousand sales a month. Like you just don't know, like you don't know who's watching you and make sure that you keep all things encompassed. Make sure you try to have your social media, like Grove approached me because of my social media. GMA approached me because of my social media. You don't think certain parts of your brand or your business can bring you things, but you'll be surprised. And if you don't know how to do your social media, ask somewhere, Google it. Like so many people ask me questions and I'm like, I learned by Google. I'm YouTube certified. Like Google is my best friend. There are so many ways for you to educate yourself out there that are for free. I don't want to hear anyone saying that they can't afford stuff because there's so much information out there that's free. My only suggestion is to make sure you're learning from accredited source because you don't want to learn from a person teaching you false and just keep going. That's it. Those are great. And the point you made about you and your business bestie bring in six and seven years and just starting to reap from seeds you planted six, seven years ago. Somebody once said to me, overnight sensation doesn't have much of a story to tell. It's the people who have been at it, the people who have been challenged. This is in any part of business, in any part of life, that 
can inspire way more than someone who just, by luck or happenstance, wins. And there are not as many overnight sensations as we believe. There aren't. And it's funny. My husband told me this. Don't give him credit. (laughs) My husband told me this story once when I was really down and really out and just feeling defeated. He told me about the farmers in Japan. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so he was like, just listen, (laughs) the farmers in Japan, bamboo farmers, they tend the fields and they tend the fields for five years. These jokers are tending fields that you don't see nothing. You don't see anything. Something's happening underneath, but you just tending because that's what you're supposed to do. At five years, the bamboo shoots up out the earth and goes straight up to the sky. And he said, Amor. Oh, God, I'm about to cry. No, no, no. Mm-mm. He was like, Amor, you just have to wait. Your crop is coming. And literally, the fifth year is the GMA. That may have been coincidental, but the fifth year was GMA. I had to revamp my process and procedures, confidence that I can handle large orders. Ironically, Macy's came along, Grove came along. Everything happened in 2020. Tend to your field. You may not see what's happening, but do everything you got to do to that bamboo field. You do what you're supposed to do. Your crop will shoot up. Ginger King is back with some great insight from episode 43 on when you're thinking about birthing a brand. Walk me through some of the brands that you worked with as a contract manufacturer at that first job, and then what a contract manufacturer offers. Contract manufacturer is an extension of your R&D team. If you have one or don't have one, they help you to push our products much faster. And some contract manufacturer will go to the extent of helping you with new technologies. Some contract manufacturer pretty much just swap out the active ingredients, change color, change fragrances. So it depending on what kind of contract manufacturer you work with, but with any brands, usually you will have to work with a contract manufacturer to launch your own beauty business. Kimberly Smith, founder of Marjani Beauty and co-founder of the Brown Beauty Experience, pivoted from practicing law to beauty entrepreneurship. She reminds us that pricing your products correctly is important in episode 22. A lot of brands don't even price well. They don't price for retail. So they price for direct-to-consumer. And then thinking about retail, you have no margin. But if you think about wanting to get into the big box retailers or the like, the national retailers, it costs to get in there. Like your marketing costs, you have to have a dedicated marketing budget that you have to spend. If you have a display, for instance, if you're lucky enough to have a display off the shelf, you have something else. You probably have to invest in that. You have to purchase that. Like that's money. There are net terms. Are you prepared to not receive money three, six months plus out from when you ship your order? Can your business sustain that? Do you have that much cash sitting that you can run your operation knowing that you're not going to get paid right away? And these are things that a lot of emerging brands don't know. And it's not their fault that they don't know. I mean, how did I find out about it? I found out by being in the business and I'm on both sides, but learning this. And so a lot of brands that come to us don't know this information. And this is information that everyone should have. And it shouldn't cost you to have this type of information. 
if you dream about getting your products on retail shelves, the project execution her, Megan Young Gamble of Get Level Consulting has some practical tips you don't want to miss from episode 52. Could you offer our listeners five tips they need to consider in planning to launch an indie brand and get it on a retail shelf? Let's see. Number one, understanding your product and packaging can take more time. So that's where understanding those realistic expectations and making sure that you're accounting and buffering that time into your timeline as well. So I would say that'd be the first thing is having realistic expectations on the time frame. Second thing, please, please, please invest in yourself and your brand. If you are trying to pitch to get into retail stores and you're only drafting things that are not going to equal up or be up to par with your brand or your aesthetic or your ethos, please take time to invest into your brand before you go and pitch retailers. They have a lot of brands that are pitching them. Everybody is trying to get a spot on the shelf. So make sure that you invest in your brand to make sure that it shows up for yourself. Because remember, packaging is the first impression of your brand. So how you show up matters. And also then lets you know how it's going to continue the conversation, interest, and more. So invest in your brand, your company, and more. Third thing, please make sure that you do plan. Planning is key. Remember, think with the end goal in mind. One of the seven habits of highly effective people. So when you think with the end goal in mind, Break that down into bite-sized chunks so you can then put forth action because planning is key, especially in this space. Regardless if you're creating a body butter and you're trying to have it be launched on Target e-commerce site, your e-commerce site, and then trying to be on Net-A-Portier site, you need to know how you're going to get there because you're thinking with the end goal in mind. But breaking those down into bite-sized amounts is what's going to actually help you put forth the action. Fourth thing is understand what the requirements are for retail. And this is something really important because if you are trying to pitch to Target, to Sephora, to Macy's, to Kohl's, to Ulta, to wherever it may be, okay, you need to understand the retail requirements because they can all differ with those requirements. And with those requirements that you're trying to pitch and get into retail stores, how are you capturing all of them? How are you making sure that your product is compliant for them to be available and also be able to see from not only product standpoint, but also packaging? Because they do have different requirements for both. There's requirements for products and requirements for packaging. So how are you making sure that you're aligning to both of those to dual track it to then be available to the retail store. And then last but not least, if you are growing, scaling your beauty business, personal care business or what have you, and trying to get into retail, have capital upfront. And this is important because a lot of retailers are gonna submit purchase orders for you to satisfy X number of quantities for this product. And a lot of times the net terms can be 30, 60, 90 days after a certain date that they've given to you. So do you have enough capital in place to accommodate for that, to keep your business running and your operations running as you're waiting for you to be paid out from your purchase order from the retailers? So have capital in place and make sure that you save some for different aspects of your business and make sure you have a financial coach, accountant, CPA, somebody to help you with that because that capital is important to keep your operations afloat instead of always bootstrapping and always being behind the eight ball with trying to get your income coming in. 
So I would say those would be the five things I highly recommend for indie brands who are positioning their products on e-commerce sites or also trying to get into retail stores. Kimberly Smith is back with a real word on the intangible skills you need to be an entrepreneur, including finding a way to deal with failure. And that's also in episode 22. What are the unsung skills you need to be a beauty entrepreneur? I think there's a lot of intangible skills that you need. And you have to be humble enough to know that you don't know and to be able to admit that you don't know. It's okay. Because if you can't admit that you don't know something, then you never position yourself to find the answers, whether they're through other people, whether they're through resources of your own research and reading. If you can't admit that, okay, I don't know something, then that's a problem. And even if you're starting a business where you actually have experience, like unlike myself, there's still so much you don't know because running a business versus having an expertise in something versus working for someone, even at a high level, is just different. So I definitely think that's the intangible skill you need to have is just knowing that you don't know. Another, you can't be afraid to fail too, because along the way, it's not just about failing big. It's about the daily failures that you have and not letting those failures keep you from moving forward. And I think one of the things you asked me initially was the challenges when I began I feel like the beginning, it wasn't so much the challenges because the barrier was low because I was starting online and it wasn't so resource heavy at the beginning. The difficult part really has been in actually this past two years of realizing that this is a whole business, that I'm running a whole business, that I'm trying to grow and feeling like these failures are going to prevent me from taking this business to the next level. And so I've had to become comfortable with failing, but knowing that ultimately these small failures aren't going to keep me from succeeding, but these failures are here and they happen. <laughs> and being able to, if you can't hire people, but there's still ways in which you can leverage other people to get help and resources that you need. So being smart about that. So if you have something that you can possibly offer someone, you can find ways to barter things. You might not be in a position where you can hire someone to do social media or you can hire someone, you know, to help get your orders out or whatever the case is, finding ways to get people to actually help you because you can do everything by yourself. There's no way you can run a successful business being a party of one. So you have to be scrappy in that way. So that's a skill, scrappy. It's not a sexy word, but you got to be scrappy and figure out ways to continue to move forward, continue to do things on whatever budgets you have. And you can't look like you're on that budget. And the last word comes from Jessica Pritchett, founder of Uli, a hair care line for folks who have locks. She shares important advice for every entrepreneur or wannabe entrepreneur in episode 29. And also you have to, have to, have to invest in therapy. But if I was ever to teach an entrepreneur class, that would be one of my topics. Entrepreneurship is a lonely career in the beginning, especially when you're doing everything or you don't have staff or your people are remote. But you do need somebody other than your significant other or a family member to unload. And I think 
going to therapy on top of my television obsession has helped me. And that answers the question I was going to ask us. If somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps, what would you suggest? And so like therapy. Therapy and a lot of outside activities, you know, like TV, musician, reading, screaming at politics, whatever. You have to have outside hobbies to get through it because it can be very lonely. I hope you found some tips that work for you in this bonus episode. I certainly learned something from each of our guests and I look forward to seeing you next time. That's our show for today. If you have questions about where to start in your beauty career, drop us a line at hello at beautybizcamp.com. Remember, there are many roads to success, but each of them requires you to start. So take that step forward today. See you next time.